I'm starting a new series. I believe the content of this series is probably some of the most important stuff I've ever preached. And the series is called Putting on Your Best Face in 2019. In short, what is this series about? Recognizing our fallen nature, recognizing the soul, recognizing where conflict comes from inside of us, recognizing where fear, depression, and hurts, recognizing where our stumbling blocks come from, how they got there, and learning to get them healed and then progress, and rather than living out of our soul, learning how to live out of our spirit. And I honestly believe that God put this word on my heart. And uh, I believe that as we move through the next few weeks, you're going to find it to be revelation. And you're going to find it to be liberating. In fact, I honestly believe that as you catch hold of the principles that I'll be teaching by the Holy Ghost, your life will change. I'm telling you, your life will change. So I'm excited about this. My sermon title this morning is this, What is Your Primary Face? The subject is putting, your best fa- putting on your best face in 2019. You know, probably the most recognized face in the Western world would be the face of Mona Lisa. I don't think there's anybody in the Western world who wouldn't know the face of Mona Lisa. Can I have a picture of Mona Lisa? And we we recognize that face, and they talk and speculate and write about her smile. Who is she? What she's smiling about? What was she thinking of? And, uh, you know, nobody knows in sure uh, who this woman is. But we, we, we can live with many different faces. Sometimes we have a bad hair day face. Mona Lisa has a bad hair day face. Sometimes we have a face of bewilderment because life has just literally thrown us into a crazy whirlpool. And then, of course, we can have just that ugly face of Mr. Bean. Hopefully you'll never have that face. That's a face only a mama can love, right? Amen. Putting on your best face. There are three primary faces that we can live out of. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, there are three primary faces that we could live out of. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, the Apostle Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. And may your whole spirit, your soul, and your body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you are going to have any victory as a Christian, you need to understand that you are a three-part being. There are three specific dimensions to who you are. You need to know what are the functions of each of those areas and what gives you grief, and what will give you relief. 
too often we live life out of the area that is most comfortable to us, but it's also the area that is our, our Achilles heel. It is the weakest link in the chain, and it often brings us much grief. The wise man, Solomon, wrote in Proverbs, he said, Guard your heart, for out of your heart will come the issues you will face in life. And I will talk about what is the heart when the Bible speaks of the heart. Because if the issues I'm going to face in life are going to come out of my heart and I can actually do something to guard it, oh, I want to curtail the amount of doo-doo that happens in my life. Oh, don't look at me like that. You've all changed diapers. You know what it is when that stuff is stinky, it is yucky, it is messy. And a lot of that happens in our life. You know, life gets crazy. Life gets stupid. Life gets to become an emotional turmoil. And there is a way to guard your heart, and we need to identify what is the heart, because when you guard it, you will curtail the issues that will come to you. Guard your heart, because out of your heart will come the issues that you will face in life. How many of you want good issues? How many of you are tired of bad issues? And I'm going to take you on a journey, and I'm going to take you on an education, but I'm going to take you on a life stream of freedom that will get you from a place of always being in trouble and in conflict and in depression and in fear and anxiety and in rejection and conflict, and I'll take you to a place by you understanding these principles where you start to walk in the abundance that Jesus came to give us. Amen. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And there is a face that he wants you to live from. Because if you live from that place, he can steal from you, he can kill, and he can destroy with great ease. When you live from that face and you live from that place, it gives him open doors and open windows to mess with your life, to mess with your head, to mess with your emotions, to mess with your finances, to mess with your relationships, and to mess with your children. I'm speaking the truth. And the key of this starts all the way back in the book of Genesis in the garden, even before the fall. But the Apostle Paul says that you are a spirit, you are a soul, and you are a body. You are a triune being. Now that shouldn't be a surprise because we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. God is a triune being. And the Bible says that he created man in his image, in his likeness, he fashioned man. And so you are a spirit, a soul, and a body. And the first thing I want you to take note of is that the world forever talks about body, soul, and spirit. Can I get an agreement? You, you hear body, soul, and spirit. That should be a red flag right there. That's right. It should be a red flag. You see, the world says we are body, soul, and spirit, but God says we are spirit, soul, and body. You see, 
Right now, you're probably thinking, what's the difference? The order? That's all the difference in the world. Because it is a divine order. It is a divine order. God created man to be first a spirit and then a soul living in a body. The world says we're a body, soul, and spirit, and that's the order of priority that we put. And we live out of those faces in that priority. But God says we're a spirit, soul, and body, and that's a divine order. I want you to get this here, and I want this here to be one of the posts I want you to hear this phrase because this is powerful. Whenever you get a divine order out of order, you will always have disorder, and disorder will always lead you to confusion and chaos. Divine order is divine order for a reason. It's how God mandated things to be. There is a very fine system of order in our body. And when our body is out of order, we have disorder and we have malady and we have finally, uh, eventually, maybe even death. There is a very distinct order in the heavenly bodies. And when they, should they ever get out of order, there will be disorder and there will be confusion and there will be chaos. We have order on the face of the earth. The waters have a boundary. The sky has its place. There is an order. There is a delicate balance on the earth. But when that divine order steps out into disorder and that order is broken, we have chaos and we have confusion and we have calamity. When there's a tsunami, God had put an order on the water that it would be separated from the land. But when we have a tsunami, the divine order of God becomes subject to the disorder of the kingdom of darkness. And what do you have? You have confusion, you have chaos, and you have calamity. Now, what I'm saying might sound like I'm just being pedantic about words. I want you to understand that this is the very basis of what took place in the fall, at the fall in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve took God's divine order and allowed Satan to seduce them to get out of God's divine order. And from that time on, all of humanity has been in ungodly, unholy disorder, and because of disorder, we are in confusion. God is not a God of confusion. He's not a spirit of confusion, but how many of you know the devil is? And where there's confusion, there will always be chaos. You are first and foremost a spirit, and then a soul, and then a body. Man's body Matthew chapter 6, 24 says, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink. Don't worry about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? We put a lot of emphasis on the body. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. And all you guys and girls who work out at the gym, don't take offense. For bodily exercise profiteth little. 
but godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of life that now is and of that which is to come. What's he saying? He's not saying bodily exercise isn't important. He's not saying it's not important to tone up. No, that's not what he's saying. Read it. He's talking about comparisons. And he's talking about putting energy and exercise into your physical body in comparison to your spiritual life. It profits little in comparison. Your spiritual life will profit you now and in the life to come. That's exactly what he's saying. And so he's comparing the two. But the enemy will always take God's divine order God's divine priorities, which should be our divine priorities, and he will get the priorities out of order so that we're in disorder, so that confusion and chaos will rule in our lives. And so Paul's not preaching against going to the gym. I just want to make that really clear in case some big guy comes up to me after church. <laughs> Ross Elliott, did you hear me? Every time I go to hug Ross Elliott, it's like all of a sudden his body becomes like this six-foot-thick wall. He's solid rock. I've gotten to the point where I, I don't try to hug him anymore. I just pat him on the back. Because it constantly reminds me, maybe I should spend a little bit of time in the gym. <laughs> Bodily exercise profiteth little, what? In comparison to godliness. Because he says, but godliness is profitable unto all things. He didn't say bodily exercise has no benefit. He says it'll profit you. But in the most minuscule way compared to your spiritual life. The body. You see, these are the three faces that you can live out of. The three primary faces. Do you live out of, is your life focused on what your body is like? Is it focused on what your soul is like? Is it focused on what your soul is like? You see, the body, the cosmetic industry, which uh, for this analogy includes face and hair products, is worth $62 billion every year in the United States alone. All the statistics I'm going to give you are statistics for the USA market. Not even North America, just USA. So just hair and face products, we go through $62 billion worth of products every year. Every year in America, the last few years, cosmetic surgery, 15.9 million surgical procedures performed in 2015. The weight loss industry is $60 billion a year. Health and fitness industry is $32 billion a year. And if we want to talk about clothing and apparel, let's just take one famous brand and let's call it Nike. And it's worth $32 billion a year. What am I saying? I'm asking a question. Which face are you living out of? Have you been duped by the world and you think you are a body, soul, and spirit? Or do you understand there's a divine order? You are spirit first, then a soul living in a body. 
Man's soul and his heart are terms that are interchangeable in the Bible as far as their functionality goes. You see, your soul or your heart consists of your mind, your emotions, and your will. Your soul is that place where your mind and the functions of your mind is that includes memories, all the horrible stuff that happened to you as a child. All the abuse, all the words in your memory that tell you you're a failure, you're no good, you're stupid. How many women, let's be honest, how many women here, I, I want to prove something to the men. How many women here struggle with the thought that they're stupid? Would you be honest enough and raise your hand? Hi, put them up higher. Yep. It is so common. The soul is the realm of your memories. What you were told as a child. What happened to you as a child. Whether you're male or female. Whether you were uh, prematurely exposed to sexual activity and sexual material. The words that were spoken over you. Let me say this here. The mere fact that if your mother was the type of mother or your father was the type of father, and if you were an Italian family, both of them would be guilty of this, uh, and that is that they create an air and an atmosphere where you always feel you're guilty, you did something wrong. And, and so, you know, as a child, we, we pick up the memory of atmosphere. An atmosphere will always carry presence. Atmosphere will always carry presence. And presence is always spirit. And so if you live in an atmosphere of you're stupid or you live in an atmosphere, you're always wrong for something. If you live in an atmosphere of condemnation, it generates a presence and that presence will be a spirit and it'll hang around you. And the memory of that clicks and triggers emotions. The soul is the realm of your mind, your intellect. Your intellect has memory. Your intellect has uh, uh, belief systems. Your intellect has the ability to, uh, uh, to reason and have rationale. But those memories are linked to emotions. And so in the soul, we have trauma. We have memories of, of abuse, traumatic situations, and we have emotions that go with it. And all we have to do is work, walk into a scenario where somebody says a phrase that coincidentally reminds us of what our mother used to say or our father used to say just before something horrendous would happen and immediately it throws us into an emotional spasm. We have knee-jerk reactions. We have gut reactions. We have emotional outbursts. The soul is a place that has been damaged through the fall and through life. And if we live out of the face of the soul, we're going to live out of a very broken face and a very broken place. Amen. Are you hearing me? And so the soul or the heart, both terms are often used. They're, they are two different words, even in the Greek. But the function of both of them 
are, are, are the same, uh, the, the terms are the same in their functionality. For example, uh, regarding the soul, the soul or the heart is the place of thoughts and reasoning. In Luke chapter 12, verse 19, in the King James, it says, And I will say to my soul, soul, you have much goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. The soul is a place of reason. The soul is a place of the intellect where it can think and it can reason and it can exercise the will. The heart is also such a place. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The heart and the soul has in its functionality the realm of intellect, the realm of reason, the realm of, uh, of rationale, and it can trigger one's will. But the soul is also a place of emotions. In Matthew 26, verse 38, Jesus said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. That's the soul. The heart, in Acts chapter 9, verse 2, Paul says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. You see, in their functionality, while there are two different words in English, there are two different words in the Greek, the functionality of the heart and the soul always point to the same thing. It's the realm of the intellect and the realm of our emotions. I'm going to tell you right now, the thing that gets us most in trouble are aspects of our mind, whether it be belief systems that are wrong, that don't line up with the Word of God, or they be memories of traumatic things, memories of hurtful things. The stuff that gets me in trouble is my mind and my emotions. Amen. I guess I'm unique. <laughs> belief systems. The mind has three areas. It has memory, it has belief system, and it has the ability to reason and to logic. Three major components of the mind. The soul has the mind, it has the emotions, and it has the will. The mind, if we were to break the mind down, has memory, and that can be traumatic to us. It has belief systems. You could be raised up with prejudicial uh, rationale. You grow up in a homely, uh, in a home, and certain prejudices taught to you over and over and over again. And out of that belief system, out of your heart, will come issues you will face further down in life. Guard your heart, for out of it will come the issues you're going to face in life. As a man believes or thinks, so is he. As a man thinks, that's what he's going to face in life. And so our memories need to come to a place of healing and restoration and our belief systems, how we see people, how we see color, how we see culture, how we see life needs to come into agreement. Sometimes it needs to come out of agreement with mommy and daddy and it needs to come out of agreement with our cultural position and maybe it even needs to come out of agreement with American 
American philosophy and we need to line up and come into agreement with what the Word of God has to say. Your soul is the realm of your mind and in your mind are three components, memory, belief systems, conviction, perspective, and in your mind is also the realm of logic, the ability to reason and have rational thought. And your mind will trigger your will, but so will your emotions. You see, the best decisions are usually made when both the mind of the intellect and the mind of, the, of emotions reason together and they weigh a matter up and down, toss it back and forth. And when both the mind of the intellect and the mind of the emotions come into agreement, you usually come to a better decision. Women, let's prove this. How many times has your husband made a, a decision that is purely logical in his eyes and totally emotionally out of whack with everything you feel and everything you see and they've been proven to be wrong? Could I see your hands? <laughs> but by the same token, we make decisions purely out of emotion. Come on, everybody. How many of you have gotten into trouble when you've made purely emotional decisions? But when we take the logic of the mind and the feeling of the emotion and weigh a matter together and think on it, we generally, when those two minds in our soul come into agreement, generally, not always, but generally, it is a better decision and a more stable decision. Your soul. It's a very prominent part of you. And I want to tell you, it's probably the biggest part, troublesome part of us as well, your soul. The, the soul and the heart is a place of emotions, and I pointed it out. We can engage our will from our mind. We can engage our will from our emotion. We usually make the best decisions, decisions when our mind and our emotions have both weighed in on a matter and they come into agreement. What face are you living from? You see, the mind, let me tell you how much we spend on the mind. The self-help industry, which includes books, CDs, and workshops, is worth $10 billion every year. College board reports the College Board of the USA reports that a moderate college to earn a four-year degree, you're looking at $100,000, and a private college to get a four-year degree, you're looking at maybe $200,000. We put a lot of emphasis on cultivating the soul, the intellect, the mind. Then the emotions, which is part of the soul. I'm going to take only one industry. You know, the soul wants to feel good. And so let's take a feel-good industry. And uh, how many of you can agree with me that uh, U.S. media and entertainment, 
That's a feel-good industry, right? It thrills us. Whether we want to be made afraid, we want to be horrified, we want to be tantalized, we want to sit on the edge of our chair, biting our fingernails, and even though it's crazy, we like it. That's why we go see those kind of movies, or we want a hallmark moment because our life stinks and we want to see what make-believe looks like. Whatever the case might be. I mean, let's get real. Uh, The point is, we entertain our emotions and generally we expose ourselves to things we enjoy so that we feel good. And the entertainment industry, which includes things like motion pictures, television, television programs, streaming content, music, audio recordings, broadcast, radio, book publishing, video games, and ancillary services rakes in $735 billion a year. Listen, the reason why I'm quoting these dollar figures is to show you that we as Americans live largely from the realm of our body. We live out of the face of how I look, how I dress, how I present myself. (laughs) And out of the face of our intellect, hang on, I look smarter when I'm wearing glasses. (laughs) And out of the face of our our soul, emotional well-being, isn't that a phrase today? You will garner more issues and conflict in life by living out of your soul as a primary face than any face. Because we're called to live out of our spirit. Can I get an amen? Listen, in the weeks to come, I'm going to lay this out for you. I am going to give you keys. I'm going to put a battering ram and a battle axe in your hand so that you could cut down the trouble areas of your life and bring them under the blood of Jesus. And I'm going to highlight in great detail areas of the soul so that you'll recognize it and decide, whoops, I know what that is. I know what that is. That's the soul. I'm not going to respond out of that because every time I live out of the soul, I live in trouble. How many of you think this might be a good series? This is what living out of the face of the soul looks like. If I were to say to you, the Apostle John, what do you, say, what do you think of immediately? John 3.16, the Apostle Jesus loves. Somebody over here said love. John, when he wrote the Gospel of John, he wrote it from a perspective of the humanity and deity of Jesus always showing the love of the heart of God. When you read the epistles of John, he's forever talking about love, love, love. And uh, <clears throat> it could have been one of the Beatles. Love, love, love. <laughs> John. But John wasn't always that way. You see, the Bible says that James and John were the sons of Zebedee. And Zebedee means thunder. Their their father was called Zebedee because he had a very loud nature. He was an angry, volatile. He could explode on the spot. 
Oh, John couldn't have been like that. So watch this. Luke chapter 9, verse 51 of 54. As the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village. Now the Samaritans were a mixed race of people. Originally, um, when Israel became divided and you had two kingdoms, Israel and Judah. Judah was made up of the Levites and the uh, uh, and the tribe of Judah and Israel was made up of the other ten tribes. Israel became extinct long before Judah became uh, annihilated. And uh, the people of Israel were brought into captivity and these foreign kings brought other people to invade their land and habitate their land. So now, while... Um, <clears throat> Samaria was uh, like the, the uh, capital of, uh, of Israel. Now it was a people group of many different na nations, totally intermarried. And to the Jewish people, who still had a fairly reasonably Hebrew lineage, the Samaritans were less than. You see, in the mind, in the soul is belief systems. And Jesus' people, the Hebrew people, looked down their nose at Samaritans. That's why when Jesus gave the parable, they said, Jesus said, thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. And some wise guy from the Sanhedrin said, and uh, pray tell us who is my neighbor. And Jesus gives this parable of the good Samaritan a fellow that they wouldn't like. And he was a man who was beat up by thieves and even rabbinical priests came by and uh, didn't pay any attention to him and left him on the ground. And then a Samaritan, somebody that the Jews didn't like, they were inferior. See, racism comes out of the, a, a, a misinformed soul. I'm going to say it again. Racism and prejudice comes out of a misinformed soul. And that philosophy and that ideology, I don't care how much your daddy hammered it into you, I don't care how much your mommy hammered it into you, and I don't care if you're angry at me right now, I'm going to preach the truth. Those thoughts have to line up with what the Word of God says and how God looks at life. And anything that disagrees with God's opinion is a wrong opinion. Amen. And so Jesus gives a, a parable where the Samaritan's the hero. Even the religious rabbinical priest walks away from this poor guy who's beaten up. And Jesus says, you want to know who your neighbor is? The Samaritans are your neighbors. So here's James and John, two strikes against them. Their daddy is called Volcano. Their daddy is called Thunder. He's loud, he's angry, he explodes. This is John, the apostle of love, right? So in this story, it says here that, uh, but the people there in Samaria did not welcome him because he was heading to Jerusalem. See, they didn't like the Jews either. It went both ways. 
when the disciples, James and John, the beloved apostle, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? John had his soul face on. He had the belief system of his daddy. He had the emotional response of his father. How many of you agree that John didn't look very good in that moment? You see, we often live from the face of our soul, and your soul will make you look ugly. Listen, whether you say amen or not, I'm picking up my paycheck at the end of the week. And whether you say amen or not, I'm going to keep preaching it like it is. The soul is what makes us look ugly. And the soul is what needs to be renewed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, we talk about putting our game face on. Too often we just got our ugly face on. Ladies, I'm not talking to you, of course. I'm talking about how we act and how we respond. And so here's, here's John with an ugly face, and yet later we come to know him as the apostle of love. You know why? John learned how not to live from his soul, and he started to live from his spirit. Without putting your hand up, how many of you have lived from some ugly faces? Don't put your hand up. Well, you know what? It'll do you good. Put your hand up. And what we want to do is to learn how to calm the beast and let the beauty live. How to heal the soul. And that's what you're going to learn over the next few weeks. How to heal the soul, calm the beast, and live out of that beautiful place that is always in harmony with the Spirit of God. How many of you want that? I'm going to conclude, but let me show you something. Let me show you another ugly face. It says here in John chapter 12, verse 1, six days before the Passover. Everybody say six days before the Passover. Do you understand what that means? The disciples had been with Jesus three years. Come on, when we read, we really need to read. They had been with him for three years. They had cast out devils. They had healed the sick. They preached the good news of the gospel. Six days before the Passover. The author didn't have to say it. He's trying to put things in a perspective to show you how human we are and how ugly we can look. So after three years of casting out devils, healing the sick, preaching, the kingdom of God is at hand, we're with Jesus. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was reclining among those 
Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, now John is writing this. John says, one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray Christ, he objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth the year's wages. That's a lot of money we could have given to the poor. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. This is six days before the crucifixion. Five days later, they're having the Last Supper, the night before the crucifixion. And Jesus says, somebody here is going to betray me. And they said, what? What do you say? Come again. Who's that? Jesus said, the one that takes the bread that I'm going to dip in the wine. And Jesus takes the bread, dips it in the wine, gives it to Judas, and says, go do what you have to do. And the Bible says, then Satan entered his heart. Five days earlier, he was talking like he was really spiritual. You see, the soul can mimic spirituality. The soul knows how to be religious. He's saying something that most Christians would say, amen, hallelujah, yeah, praise God. That money could have been used for the poor. Judas was saying that. But you see, God reads the heart. He doesn't read the lips. Amen. This is six days before the crucifixion. One day before the crucifixion, Satan, five days later, Satan enters Judas's heart. He betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. When you live out of your soul, you're going to end up living out of your ugly face. I don't care how much Maybelline and how much lipstick you put on, and I don't care how much hair product you put in your hair or how shiny you make your scalp. When we live out of our soul, we're going to live out of our ugly face. And I don't want to live out of my ugly face. But let me show you something else. These boys had been with Jesus three years, and they had been preaching, prophesying, casting out devils. Watch this here. John says it was Judas, but if you were to read Mark chapter 14, it says some of those who were present, some of those who were present were indignant. Matthew says the disciples were indignant. So what I'm saying is that all these boys, as much as they had moved in the power of the Holy Ghost and had done all these things with Jesus, they were stepping in their soul and all the other disciples were agreeing with Judas. He sounded spiritual. He sounded right. He looked godly. And they're ganging up on Jesus six days before his crucifixion. How ugly the soul looks and how easily we could step into the soul. I don't want to live from my soul. I want to live in submission to his spirit and live out of my spirit. Amen. 
Can I get an agreement? Amen. 24 hours before the crucifixion, Jesus betrays, Judas betrays Christ because of greed in his soul. All the disciples let Jesus down by not being able to pray the night before his crucifixion. And Jesus said, the spirit is willing. I wish you dudes would live from your spirit. But the flesh is weak in regards to spiritual things and strong to the influence that is contrary to the leading of the spirit. The spirit is willing. Let me tell you something. Your spirit will always agree with God's spirit. That's why praying in tongues is so good, because it's one place I can't mess up my prayers. Praying in tongues is a powerful thing, because I'll always pray the mind of God and the will of God and the heart of God, and I'll always pray right. <sighs> Hang on a second. Good preaching, Pastor Ron. My soul needed a bit of encouragement. <laughs> Here are all the disciples, these great heavyweights. But they were still living out of their soul. They got soulish quickly. Sound familiar? Peter denies Jesus three times in Jesus' most vulnerable hour. And then because he had his soul face on, he felt so condemned afterwards, he went back to fishing. He said, you know what? I'm no good. I'm not a preacher. Who am I? I'm a throwaway. That's what I love about Jesus. That's what I love about God. Even if by human standards we're a throwaway to God, we're the catch of the day. Amen. Would you stand with me? Romans chapter 8, Paul says, those who live according to the flesh, that's the soul, have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind that is governed by the flesh, the soul, is death. But the mind that is governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the soul is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Him. You see, church... We belong to the realm of the Spirit, and we're called to be spirit people. But too often, wrong teaching has taught us that we're bound to live from the realm of defeat. We're bound by a sinful nature. No, you're not. Once you were bound by our sinful nature, you've been set free. You see, out of your soul comes the knowledge of good and evil. And when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, 
It appealed to their soul. They saw it was good for being wise, knowing the knowledge that God has. The soul trumped this spirit. The spirit will always submit to the word of God. God said, don't eat. They said, we don't want to hear that. The soul said, wow, I could be wise like God. The eyes saw that the food was desirable. It was nice to look at. It was appealing to the flesh. And it was good for food. You see, Adam and Eve got divine order out of order. And Satan knew exactly what he was doing, church. He didn't talk to Adam, who was supposed to be the protector. Shame on him. Men, when you're not the spiritual priest, shame on you. And women, you're spiritual priests too. He didn't talk to the man, divine order. He talked to the woman. Man's supposed to protect her. He stood there the whole time. Eve said, hey, babe, have some. And he took it. He was there the whole time. Divine order was broken. You know what's interesting? God said to Adam, subdue the earth. And that word subdue in the Hebrew means kabosh. Keep it in divine order. Keep it under your control. We're meant to live from the spirit, but so often we step back into the soul. There are triggers in your soul. The enemy will always look to take you back to your soul. Because in your soul, if you live and respond out of your soul, you're out of divine order. The minute you're out of divine order, you have windows and doors open. The house is empty. Demons come and go. When we get into divine order, the windows are closed and the doors are closed. And the enemy can't beat us. Good preaching, Pastor Ron. I will prove to you next week from Scripture. God showed me. I was here till 2.30 in the morning. Went home. Got up at 7.20. Came back. God showed me a Scripture. I have never seen this revelation before. I'm going to preach it next week. I'm going to prove to you from Scripture that the soul is what got damaged at the fall. And that's why your soul is capable of good and evil. It bears the fruit of the tree we ate from. Your spirit will only ever do what's right in the eyes of God. I want to live from my spirit. Amen, Amen church. Amen. 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 Paul says, but if Christ is in you, then his spirit is in you. But if you don't have Christ, you're lost. Every eye closed. Friend, if you've never asked Jesus in your heart, you need to have his spirit in you. You must be born again. Religion won't do it. I don't care what your priest told you. I don't care what the preacher told you. I don't care what your mama told you. I'm going to tell you the truth. Jesus said, you must be born again. Every one of us have sinned. And every one of us are separated from God. 
And you might be a good person, but there's also always some evil inside of us. We must be born again. To have the Spirit of Christ in you, you must invite Christ in you. If you have never been born again, if you are not saved, if you're not sure that your name is written in the book of life and you're definitely going to heaven, then right now while everyone's eyes are closed, put your hand up and say, Pastor, I want to know that I know that I know. Come on. If you want to ask Jesus in your heart right now, don't live out of your soul. Your soul will be afraid. Your soul will feel rejection. Your soul will think, what is everyone else going to think? Pride is in the soul. Every emotion you can think of. Anyone here who's never asked Jesus in your heart, put your hand up and say, that's me. I want to accept Christ today as my Lord and Savior. Okay? Awesome. Then I'm preaching to Christians, and that means you should be able to take this. Come with me. I really believe that we're on the road to revival. And can I tell you what stops revivals? Not demons. We give the devil too much credit. It's not the devil that stops revivals. The devil will rely on the weakest link, your weakest face. Revivals stop because people start complaining. Revivals stop because people get tired. Revivals stop because they'll find something to criticize. Revival stops because it's not convenient anymore to the soul. Your comfort zone is probably your soul. But your soul, if you live from it, is the face that will get you in the most trouble. I believe God is moving in this place. I believe we're moving towards revival. And I believe this series is very important as a precedence and a preparation so that as revival comes, we will flow with it because we learn to live from our spirit and not from our soul. Can I get an amen? Amen. How many of you are hungry for a move of God? How many of you... How many of you are hungry to start living more victoriously? Amen. I encourage you, sons and daughters of God, if Christ is in your heart, then all the raw ingredients are in you to live a victorious life. Let me teach you and show you what the Bible has to say so you can recognize every knee jerk, every trigger, every emotional outburst and be able to pinpoint it to a time and a place in your soul. Bring it to the cross, get it healed so that your soul won't control you but His Holy Spirit will. Amen. Amen. I love you guys and I am committed to telling you the truth. My popularity is not an issue. The truth is, amen.